Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. My name is Ben, and today I'm sitting down with Reverend Robin King again, and we're having a cup of coffee here, and we're, today we're going to be talking about something that we all have, something that we all carry around. No, I'm not talking about belly buttons. I'm talking about doubt. We've that seems all, random, Ben. We've all got them. Yeah. So doubt is uh, part of this week's story that Robin is going to be uh, sharing in on Sunday. In are you in Basho or in Pinoka this Sunday, Robin? I'm in Pinoka. Pinoka, right? Yeah. So uh, the way we do things here is Robin alternates back and forth between the Basho United Church and the Pinoka United Church, and we use really cool live streaming technology to share his sermon and the children's learning together piece uh, earlier in the service with the other church, whichever church doesn't have Robin at. So, and we actually archive all of those too. So if you're ever interested in joining us for church from anywhere, you can do that live on YouTube on our uh, live streaming at 1030 Mountain Time on Sunday mornings, or check out the archive later. And those are available at risingspiritministry.com. So once a week on this podcast, either Robin or lots of times we have different guests come on the show as well. And uh, we've had some really interesting guests over the last few weeks. Uh, next week, Robin, I haven't told you this yet, but uh, next week I've got uh, Bill from the Camrose Hospice Society. I can't remember Bill's last name, but you know Bill. Bill Harder. Harder, that's right. I've been chatting with Bill uh, by email, and we're lining up uh, recording a, an episode in Camrose at his office. Yeah, definitely listen for that. He's awesome. He He's is great. fantastic. He's come to Basha and, and delivered a, a workshop on grieving, which I attended, and it was amazing. And ever since then, I thought, oh, man, I got I to gotta sit down and talk to him. So Bill and I are going to have a conversation next week. So it's either Robin or a guest that will sit down with me over a cup of coffee, and we usually have a 30 or 40 minute casual conversation about some topic that relates to faith and the way we live our lives and and, in finding ways to answer the big questions of being human. So doubt is a great topic to dive into, especially right after Easter Sunday. Why is this such a timely topic for where we're at in kind of the uh, Christian calendar year following Easter Sunday last week? Well, there's a it's a story thing. Can I let me just say though, as you introduce that, uh, you, you said that we talk about uh, what we talk about is topics related to faith, mm-hmm. and then you moved on to something else. Um, and the thing is, uh, that's one of the things about doubt. We always think doubt's the opposite of faith. It's not. So, like, I'm sorry, it's just not, it's not the opposite of faith. Um, so what is doubt? Well, that's the thing, is that we, because we've always thought it is, right? Because you have to, you must have faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's the emphasis always been, you have to believe, you have to believe, you have to believe. Um, and for a lot of years, that was, uh, I think a lot of years, frankly, that was a control mechanism. Because that stopped you asking questions, didn't it? If you're simply supposed to believe blind faith, and I'm telling you stuff, then and yeah, and that's the that's the thing is uh, um, uh, Bill Maher, uh, who I think's oh, really yeah. funny and and can be incredibly insightful. Um, he uh, he did a really funny. It actually is very funny um, uh, movie. Uh, it's, it wasn't really a documentary. It's kind of a mockumentary, and I think it's called Irreligious. You're religious. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've seen part and, of that. But in it, in it, he taught, one of the things he says is, basically he says, faith is for stupid people. Um, and the thing about that is that that's, he's saying that, I think, because we have a common misconception. That he's actually talking about blind faith. Um, because we have that common misconception that faith is strictly about believing. Even, so... Yeah, you be- must believe. Believing in the face of either an absence of evidence or contradictory evidence, even. Yeah. And that's all it is. Yeah. That- and the thing is, no. And and this is one of the things, This is, again, this is why it's so timely to talk about doubt and faith at Easter. First of all, first of all, the, the story that uh, invariably follows, uh, in fact, I can say that because if you follow the common, use the common lectionary... Every single year, doesn't matter, every single year, the Sunday after Easter is the story of Thomas. I'm not going to call him that. I'm not going to call him, okay, I'm just going to say it once, Doubting Thomas. I hate that because he's not Doubting Thomas. 
Um, but we've labeled him that because yeah. every year we hear that story, and that story is about the one who didn't believe. I think that's wrong. So specifically, the one who didn't believe after the resurrected Jesus presented himself yeah, the story to the disciples. Is, the right? story is that like, Jesus. Take us back uh, to the, to the yeah, gospel. Well, there. the story is the the gospel story uh, in John is that Jesus appears to the disciples, um, and Thomas isn't there. Um, and Jesus kind of appear. He appears and and says peace to you. Um, and then he talks to the disciples. He shows who he is. Shows them who he is. And uh, just while we're on the subject of this story, I just like to point out that Jesus does not appear to the disciples and go, "What the hell were you guys doing? Why did you leave me? Why did you abandon me? What were you thinking? You guys are going to pay for this." He said, "Peace to you." And then. Uh, breathes on them the spirit um, and and tells them to go and basically go and share right Thomas isn't there and so the, the way the story goes is that he sees those disciples and Thomas comes and sees the disciples they go oh Jesus is alive we saw him and Thomas goes I don't believe you and I won't believe until I see uh, I see Jesus and see you know the the holes in his hands and his side kind of thing right and then like, Jesus wouldn't appears any, wouldn't any rational person have that response like well we just saw this guy crucified and and buried and put in a tomb here's and a part. couple days later it's like oh yeah we just saw Jesus sorry you sorry you missed him you well, were out well see here's kind of the part where I think sometimes um, saying something like faith is for stupid people um, just reminds people, um, not that faith is for stupid people, but reminds people what faith is all about. Um, because faith, faith is, doubt is part of faith. Faith can't exist without doubt. It just can't. Because doubt is about asking the questions, uh, I think, is about asking the questions that, um, uh, uh, that reinforce and um, don't, don't so much question your faith as guide your faith. You question the things that are part of your faith in order that your faith is, uh, your faith grows or your faith is is uh, uh, nurtured, right? Um, so what does it mean so, to you to have, or go ahead. So I just want to say, see, here's the thing about the story that's really kind of ridiculous. And that's stupid. It's ridiculous. Um, Jesus then appears when all of the disciples are there and he goes to Thomas and he says, look, it's me. Um, and Thomas famously says, my Lord and my God, right? Um, so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, see, Thomas saw, so now he believes. So first of all, we should never call him Doubting Thomas. We might at best call him uh, Seeing is Believing Thomas. Um, <laughs> but, but even then, here's the thing about the story. Uh, Jesus is crucified. He's dead. He's dead. Dead, right? Who's the first person to, to see the tomb? Well, Mary and the women. What does Mary discover? He's alive. Mm -hmm. But in John's telling of the story, for instance, Mary turns away from the tomb and sees what she thinks is a gardener, and it's actually Jesus. If Mary believed Jesus was alive already, why would she think it was the gardener? Wouldn't she be looking for Jesus? Wouldn't she be looking around going, oh, he's got to be here somewhere because he's alive? Right. Right? Um, but she doesn't recognize Jesus. Why? Because she wasn't expecting to see him. So she had Mary doubts. didn't believe. Doubting Mary. But then Mary, Mary believes and goes and tells, Mary goes and tells the disciples, who, of course, because, you know, it was Mary and it's the women, and the disciples don't believe. Um, and then, and then, even if you concede that, okay, well, uh, Peter and uh, the other disciple run to the tomb, and they see that the tomb is empty, and even if you then concede that, okay, maybe that's the point at which Peter starts to believe, um, the fact is that as the story continues, the disciples are all hiding in the room. Like, the door is locked, it even says, because for fear of the Jews, right? They're afraid. Why? Yeah. Because they were followers of Jesus. And what happened to Jesus? He's dead. They're afraid. And then Jesus appears to them. They didn't believe until they saw either. Well, like right? And then, in fact, that whole, the whole post-Easter season is littered with the Road to Emmaus story, right? Yeah. Where two of the disciples are walking, and it doesn't say they're actually um, uh, from the, the, the twelve, the chosen disciples, right? It could be any of the followers of Jesus. Okay. But they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and this guy comes along and starts talking to them, and it turns out it's Jesus. They didn't recognize it was Jesus. Why? Because they weren't expecting to see him. 
Yeah. And then there's a story about Jesus is on the lakeshore, right? And sees that the disciples have gone back to fishing. Why did they go back to fishing? Because they thought Jesus was dead. They thought it was all over. It's just, that's the thing, right? Is it the story is littered with people who you either look at the story and go, well, they didn't believe either. Or you go, maybe they had questions, maybe they had doubt. But in the end, they believed. Right or or and see this is what, this is the thing about the Thomas story that I this is how I like to tell the Thomas story. People are probably tired of me telling it this way because I tell it every year now, um, but we tell the story every year anyway. Um, so here's here's why I like to tell the story. Why wasn't Thomas there? Is my question. That's my first question. Okay. Why wasn't Thomas with the other ones who were hiding in fear in a locked room? So if they were all afraid because you know they'd been followers of Jesus and Jesus had just been executed and they were all hiding in a room with the door locked why was one of them not there it's not like he went for milk <laughs> um you know what i mean it's right. not like he was you know returning an overdue video um it it i think thomas wasn't there because even if thomas didn't believe that Jesus was going to be alive again thomas already knew that Jesus was still alive in him and I think Thomas was out sharing the story. I think Thomas was the one who wasn't afraid to go out and already live hmm. the way Jesus told what them to. What they had been taught. Yeah. Right? So when he comes back in the, the next part of the story, when he's with the disciples and they all go, we've seen Jesus, he's alive. Um, I, I think the exchange probably could have gone something along the lines of, oh, come on. Look, we know he's alive in us. Yeah, I know. I've been out telling people about Jesus and living the way Jesus said we should live. Um, so, yeah, I know. And, and then the disciples would go, no, no, we've actually seen the real Jesus. And then Thomas would go, really? Come on, guys. I know you want to see him. I know you want to see him. But is he really, really there? Like physically. Physically yeah. there. Hmm. I like that and interpretation. Then, and then, uh, and then, of course, that's why that's why I think why in the next part of the story, when he sees sees Jesus in person, he goes, "My Lord, my God," is it's not because he's conceding mm. that he doubted and now right. he believes; he's affirming his belief. Right. Right. Uh, and and that's the thing about doubt is we always see doubt as being the opposite of faith. Um, if you don't believe, then you must doubt. No. You must question in order to reinforce your belief. And that's, to me, that's what doubt is. You need doubt. We need doubt. Doubt is a part of faith the same way that, well, the same way that death is a part of life, right? Um, we we traditionally see death death as the end of things, yeah. right? Because when we die, it's the end of it. Wait a minute. You belong to a faith tradition that believes there is something more, and you're telling me that death is the end. No. <laughs> The end of this. Right? It's the end of this. And that's the thing. About, you see that. We see that in life. And that's the great thing about spring, right? We see that all around us at this time of year. Yeah. Is all of that ground that was dead, it's now starting to green up. There's there's buds on the trees. There's plants starting to grow. Um, everything is alive again. Right? And so... A new beginning. Yeah. So I think I think doubt is a part of faith in the same way. You, you can't have faith without you question. Like your your faith, you can't simply say. You can't simply say, um, a flat out, I believe X. Without allowing for the fact that somebody might question that. So, as a minister, here's a question for you: How do you hope to see? How do you see people's doubts kind of showing up in your ministry? And how do you hope that people would share their doubts with you? So, on a week to week basis in your life as a minister. You're um, inspiring people on a Sunday morning with your sermon. You're writing a blog every week. You hop on the podcast with me. So there's all these ways you're sharing your your view of the world or your your own faith, your own beliefs, and you do so in a way that I think is so. Um, I love the way that you will tell people in the middle of a sermon, even don't just believe this because I said it. You know, don't. Don't just take this as, oh, that's that's the truth. That's the mm -hmm. answer. Robin told us, so that must be true. You encourage people to ask questions. You encourage people to form their own opinion and to think right. about it, to take to take that um, opportunity to, to sit in church on a Sunday morning or however they're engaging with you and your message, yeah. whether it might be on Facebook or whatever, to think about it, to hear it, listen to it, think about it, 
and then come up with their own personal beliefs. So, how, well, yeah. Okay. How do you how do you experience people's doubts that you are ministering to, and then how do you respond? To that's that? a that's a um, okay. Uh, hmm. That's a difficult question to answer because um, it, it, it's not difficult. It's just complicated. Um, everything's complicated, um, but it's it's just kind of complicated because um, there's two things going on there. One is um, one is that um, for a very long time. We have tended to perceive the way this whole church thing works. Well, any religious institution, any religion works, is that there's someone who tells you how it is, and then it is. That's how it is. Because they have access to the truth. Because they have either access to, you know, either they have access to the holiness, or they have access to education, uh, so so you're you're going to believe them either either because well they're a priest or you're going to believe them because they're educated and should know right, right? you assume right. because they have education they should know um and so our lo- uh, we have a certain authority right right um and uh i i think that uh while i have a feeling that that's more has more to do with power over people than it does with leading them to god um, or traditionally has, um, but the way the way I think that ought to work is um, that I, uh, as the person who has some semblance of authority by virtue of education and being accredited by the institution to lead, yeah, being ordained um, as a minister, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever, la- whatever language your particular religious whatever institution label, uses, yeah. whatever label you have, um, uh, that isn't so that I can tell you what to think. That's so that I can lead you to thinking, right? So it's right. I, I, I tell you what I think based on how I've been educated and what I know and everything. But I always do that in the context of this is what I think, mm. and I hope it will inspire you to think about it. I hope it will provide you with information to ask more questions. I hope that it will inspire you to want to know more. It's Which, that kind of thinking rather than I'm going to tell you how it is, and then you will know. I right. have answers for your questions. I love the way you frame that because it makes me think of the the teachers that I had through through elementary, high school, university, the teachers and even just outside of formal education, the best teachers in my life or role models are the people who taught me to think for myself. And it it also mm-hmm. is very reminiscent of the way you see Jesus in stories of the Bible interacting with his disciples that he was this rabbi, this teacher, they called him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, I'm sure that's what he would have been doing for them. And like we've talked right. on the podcast before, a lot of the gospel stories will give you kind of, you know, just the facts and not, well, not, not, been, and uh, not follow up with the, like, what did yeah. the disciples ask? And not what even, was the Q&A session the thing, afterwards? Though, it's not just the facts. What it is, is it, it tends, and here's, and I, this uh, always gets me in trouble when I say it this way, because it sounds like I'm, questioning the authority of the Bible, um, but it, basically what we've been given is something that leads us to believe that Jesus stood up in front of a bunch of people and pronounced something, and yeah. therefore it is so. Which is misleading, because... And, yeah, because there's no, there's no I, I think, if Jesus is all about relationship, he wouldn't just tell people what to think, he'd engage them in conversation and encourage them to think differently, challenge them to think, challenge them to understand. Yeah. Um, and and to do it for themselves. Otherwise, you can't you can't say that thing about how um, you know the scripture needs to be written on your heart, right? It's not about it's not about behavior. It's about life. It's about transformation. You can't say that without requiring that the person be engaged and involved in it. And uh, somebody had a somebody had a, I saw a thing the other day that said um, education isn't memorizing uh, how many Jews were killed in the Holocaust. Education is about understanding how that happened, how how the German people were led to believe it was necessary, how um, they how it ha- managed to happen in the fir- at all, and why we shouldn't let that kind of thing happen again. Right. <laughs> um, that's the education part, right? It's because that's what you learn from it. You can memorize the Bible all you want, but if you're not learning something from mm. it, if it you're not if you're not giving. 
uh, if you're not giving your life experience and your life experience, your your own uh, experience of scripture and your own understanding, you're not asking questions. You're not trying to understand it for yourself and see how it relates to your life. It's it's meaningless. You're just memorizing stuff. Yeah, it's empty. Yeah. Well, we have so many examples. Um, and I mean, I'm no I'm no biblical scholar by any means, but just from my limited um, and my memory's poor to boot. But from growing up in the United Church and going to Sunday school and um, just the, the reading that I have done and, and listening to sermons with you over the last 10 years and, and having these kind of conversations, I can think of... a lot of questions, yeah. I can, <laughs> I can, well, yeah, I do have lots of questions yeah. all the time. But I can think of lots of stories where the Bible gives us examples of Jesus engaging with the crowd. So to your point even if it's not spelled out that, you know, and then Jesus listened to the disciples' many questions and mm-hmm. encouraged them to yeah. think for themselves. It never says that, but it's pretty Im- strongly implied just by the way they describe him being a, a person, a, a, a teacher who is of the people, with the people, yeah. in the crowd, not this is, up on yeah. the pulpit. This is why I like right? the way uh, John tells, I mean, we know the famous story of how Jesus calls the first disciples, right? He goes down to the seashore and says, come and follow me. They drop everything and follow him because he said so. But John tells the story differently. The way John tells it, uh, John the Baptist tells a couple of his disciples to go and check out this Jesus guy. They follow Jesus around a bit to the point where Jesus says, why are you following me? And <laughs> they say, we just, we want to see what you're doing. And Jesus says, come and see. Right. In other words, come and see what I'm doing, and if you like what I'm doing, stay with me. Yeah, you know, and and we'll and we'll we'll do it together, kind of thing. And that's why I like that story so much more, is because it's less about the authoritarian Jesus going, "This is what thou shalt do," yeah. and more about, "Here's what we can do together." And this is why. Uh, so just to backtrack onto your question earlier about doubt. Um, so this is the first of the two things, right? Is that um, uh, I always uh, feel that my role is to encourage people to think and to nurture so that we can nurture faith, right? Mm-hmm. Because it needs to be nurtured. So you need to have questions. And that's where doubt comes in. Is uh, it's, it, To me, that's the point at which doubt is less about believing and more about understanding, right? It's the questions that right. lead you to understanding. It's the questions that nurture your faith, right? So here's a place where... Re- um a person's faith journey is actually quite parallel to something like the scientific method, the scientific process. And we think of science and religion as being so so opposing or so different, so disparate. But in science or in in uh, in that uh, in the scientific method of acquiring knowledge and understanding and learning, you have to pose right. hypotheses. You have to ask yeah. questions. You have to wonder. You have to be curious. Yep. You have to have enough doubt to say, hmm, I know we've always believed that the Earth was the center of the galaxy or the solar system or the universe. Maybe it's not. Yeah, and then find out. Yeah, so I think, um, yes, I think they're not, they're not exactly the same, but they're complementary. Right? Yeah, there's a parallel. Um, that's why well, there's that's why faith and faith and science are complementary. I think, um, you know, it's it's always about wanting to understand better, yeah, wanting to know more, wanting to understand, but but not just wanting to understand simply so you'll know, wanting right. to understand so that you'll know in a way that uh, uh, becomes part of your life, right? That it's mm-hmm. uh, it's part of how you live. So when someone sits down with you and has fears or concerns or worries and and. Doubts. Okay, that's number two. Okay. Okay. I'll number one is there. yeah. Number one is the the part about um, is is part about um, what authority do I have? And the the short answer is um, I have the authority of um, a, a knowledge and education in the institution, but that doesn't give me the authority of being able to tell you what to think. It doesn't ever 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 ever. I would say many more ever's because there's. Uh, there's a lot of institutions where that's not the case. And it has traditionally been the case in even more institutions, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, historically, right? Um, I tell you what to think, and then we're all good, because we're all thinking the same thing, right? And that's not the same. That's not not a good thing, Um, because we're all different. We're all going to understand and engage differently, right? So we need to allow for that. we need to allow for the fact that um, 
you know, there might be on a, on a Sunday. I always say I, I don't have intense to say this, but I always say on a Sunday morning, it is my dream that one day, and I mean this in a positive way, <laughs> not just so that somebody will do it, but I, it's my dream that during during the message on a Sunday morning, I'll be talking about something, and somebody will stand up and say, "I don't agree with that. Here's why." And we'll have a dialogue, right? Yeah. We'll have a discussion about it. And that, then somebody else might go, but hang on a second. And then so we got a third viewpoint going, right? And because I think that's really instructive. I would also say, though, since I also brag about the uh, the fact that um, the United Church in particular, and there are lots of others, but um, being a progressive denomination means that you allow for questions. And so our, 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 our thing tends to be... Um, we don't we don't have answers, but we'll journey with you to find them, mm. right? With I your like that. bring your questions. Whereas there are other traditions and other institutions that'll go. You have questions, we have the answer. And I don't understand how that's possible. <laughs> I mean, I get that you can have an answer that might lead me to think more, but you can't you can't just kind of go um, if we if you all just believe what I tell you, it's good. The fact is, they're just y- there just aren't can't. neat and tidy explanations right. to all of the exactly. complex messy questions that we have as humans right and here's where here's where it kind of shifts into number two which is um there the, first of all there's the the there's the questions and the doubt that comes from what the church teaches right and how we teach it or how we say it right but then there's also uh and and we encourage that we encourage questions some religions and some religions do not but um, but the ones that are, I'm going to get in trouble for saying it probably, but the ones that are most meaningful encourage questions, right? Because that's encouraging engagement. Um, it's encouraging understanding. It's an, uh, encouraging a deeper faith. Um, okay, so the thing is, though, that that's just part of it. The other part is what a person personally understands their connection with God or with love or with the universe to be or with others, right? And so um, it, it, doubt might not have anything to do with religion, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Bear in mind, religion is a structure that we put yes. on our faith. To un- that's how I, this is how I understand religion, right? If religion is a structure that we put on tradition and stuff we put on our faith in order that we might understand it better, um, there's there's people who it's the spiritual but not religious crowd right mm. that's how we label them because you know you have to label everything um <laughs> but uh but people who have an, an uh, they have an understanding of god or they have a connection to god or or however they understand god and there's doubt associated with that right so that's that's the doubt that comes from believing that um uh, god is love and love is the power of life in the universe and then somebody loses a two-year-old child. Yeah. How do you even... And goes, where is God? Um, and, and then you've, you've, you've got questions around, um, or, or um, a miracle. Like the, somebody has a, a two-year-old child that's, they're going to die. They're going to die. And then suddenly they're healed. Like it's a miracle, right? Yeah. And... Why was why did God save this one and not this one, or why did God cause this to happen, or why didn't God save this? Um, and that goes right back to our. And it's it's almost like it's our 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 root understanding that God is actively engaged in the universe, right? Responsible for every and res- outcome, and, and not every... just not just actively engaged, but responsible. Yeah. And the thing is when. I always want when when people say where was God when this happened um, I always want to say well God was crying with you but that's not what people want to hear yeah um, and, uh, and I said I, I have a feeling I just wrote this recently in a blog somewhere um, but um, the other thing is that I also don't feel the need to defend God <laughs> if you want to be angry at God I'd rather you were angry at God than your next door neighbor and I think it's pretty safe to say God would be okay with that too. He, he right? can handle it. I think God can handle that. I don't need to to respond for God. Um, my job, my job in ministry is to minister. That's to bring care and love and healing. It's not to defend. Yeah, right? or to, like you said earlier, to tell people 
what they th should think yeah. or believe. Yeah. And again, this, the, I think a lot of this ties into the Easter story. Um, there isn't a character in the Easter story who didn't doubt at some point. Right. And, and just while we're on the whole doubting thing and the questioning thing, you know, it, how we understand the story traditionally is the real reason why we need to ask questions. Who are the villains? Judas, the Pharisees, Pilate. Well, okay, but if if Jesus knew what was going to happen and you're going to argue that this was all pre-planned, that, that sounds horribly wrong, but um, if this was all pre-planned and Jesus knew what was going to happen, then wasn't Judas the most faithful of the disciples because he was the only one willing to actually do the thing that needed to be done to, to get it done? To fulfill the prophecy. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but no... Judas is the scapegoat because we got to blame somebody. Um, and, or, or why, why, okay, he's a Roman governor and he was not a good governor, historically speaking, apparently, but um, why is Pilate a bad guy? He's the guy who said, no, I don't want to do this. He hasn't done anything. He's innocent. And even in the end when he said, okay, I'm going to give you the choice between this guy and Barabbas, Pilate was still going but this guy's innocent he didn't do anything why did you pick this guy over here well even his words to jesus like doesn't Pilate whisper to jesus or say to jesus when the when they're in that moment of it could go either way here and he's urging jesus um to to defend himself or to speak up right to explain yeah yeah it's it's uh well, and again, it depends on how you interpret the story too, right? Um, which, again, goes back to, also. this is how these two things engage each other constantly. That goes back to how we've been taught the story, right? right? And we've been taught not to question the story. These are the bad guys. The Pharisees were, and see, like, again, um, I'm not saying, uh, first of all, not all of the Pharisees were bad, obviously. Um, secondly, were they really bad or were they doing what for 2000 years church hierarchy has tended to do they've defend they defended the institution they saw their religious institution under threat and they defended it sure. Did, was that because they saw their religious institution under threat or was it because they saw their position and their power under threat i don't know that's a good question maybe we should talk about that Right, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, that's a the that's that's a relevant question today, right? When people are saying, uh, people are saying that the in fact there appears to be some indication that the Pope is on their side. When people are questioning this whole thing about a, a clergy abusing not just children but people generally, um, people are asking questions about that, and the Church is still defending itself. Yeah. It's still acting like. Um, didn't they, it either it didn't happen or they'll acknowledge it happened but well you know let's move on um we run into that issue with um uh the reconciliation process in canada right um yeah. is that the, resi the residential schools well that was a long time ago let's move no <laughs> that's not how that works um it's just not and unless you like if you want to encourage people to believe that you want to make things different and that you want things to change, um, they will doubt you until mm. you engage them to the point where they feel they can trust, right? Yeah. And so trust comes into play too. It's so interesting that you bring that up because as, uh, so yesterday you mentioned to me that like, yeah, tomorrow we should talk about doubt. And then uh, last night, uh, Kelly and I had a, a, a disagreement <laughs> where trust was... Uh, was brought into question and and it got me thinking a lot about how you know the little things that you do in a relationship that chip away at trust are so difficult to rebuild because once someone doesn't know if they can trust what you say you're going to do or that what you say is true then it, it just brings everything into question so it it plants that seed of doubt yeah and it and it is so difficult to to rebuild, but we're so inoculated to it because it's so um, pervasive in our culture of it's just normal for politicians to lie through their teeth. Like I was listening to a podcast last night about the, they were talking about the thousands of lies that, that Trump has told. And with that 40% or so that, that support him, they just don't care. Like they, 
it's yeah, become he makes, part he literally of the, makes the truth it's become part of yeah. the part of the show part of yeah. the act that like he'll say something and it doesn't really matter if it's true or not yeah but if if you if you are really committed to honoring your word or honoring your having honesty as a as a core value yeah. and it is it's a really strong core value for Kelly so if i don't share something with her and tell myself that well it's not a big deal i'll i yeah maybe should have told her but to and i kind of shrug it off or i make make it small for her that's a big deal because the truth uh, honesty and, and and trustworthiness is so so core for her and um and but and we all do it like we all tell little white lies or we all uh you know i'm gonna avoid you know telling this person this or uh walk on eggshells a little bit to to make sure that yeah. this doesn't turn into a confrontation or a conflict and it's so it's it's very difficult almost impossible it probably is impossible to have like that perfect virtue of honesty and and well no and truthfulness since you brought all it up the time since you brought it up no don't you think it's impossible it's not impossible here's the thing um and again this is why it relates i think to the easter story we tell this story um, and whether you believe it's a factual occurrence or it's just a story or it's a, uh, uh, for, for teaching or it's, it's a metaphor, um, however you understand the story, however you want to understand the story, the fact is we tell this story where something impossible happens. Jesus is alive. Okay, He was dead. They saw him die. He's alive. It's impossible. It's no wonder, and then that's the thing is, um, honestly, get off the Thomas train here. <laughs> I just thought of that. <laughs> um, boom, boom, but boom. get off the Thomas thing because none of them believed right away. They all doubted. Yeah. They all thought he was dead. And despite the fact that Jesus did give indication that he would come back to life, um, they didn't believe he was alive. They didn't expect to see him. They didn't. Uh, Mary didn't expect to see him. The disciples didn't expect to see him. The guys on the road to Emmaus didn't expect to see him. They didn't expect to see him when they were fishing. They just didn't expect to see him because why? He was dead. It is not possible for him to be alive. It's impossible. Okay. Except this is the uh, sort of culmination, I guess or, you know, whatever the high point is, um, of a story in which that same character who was dead and is now alive, which is impossible, did a whole batch of impossible things. Everything from uh, healing, uh, the things that we call miracles, mm -hmm. right? And like healing the sick, caring for people. He reached out to people who he shouldn't have been reaching out to and made them feel like they were restored in some way. He did the impossible literally every day. And... Plus, don't forget, there's a story, there's at least two stories of Jesus bringing someone back to life. Right. Right? The little Lazarus. girl and Lazarus. Yeah. Right? And Lazarus was big, fat, hairy deal. That was like, in fact, in John, right, that's a key thing. The, in fact, the, the Pharisees decide they might have to kill off Lazarus, too, because he's alive, and so that's bringing people to Jesus. Yeah. A whole whack of impossible things with this one huge impossible thing at the end of it. Um, and, and to me, that's part of the story of n nothing's impossible, Ben. It's, it's nothing is impossible. It's only impossible until we do it. Right. Okay, but and, and so, so here's the thing, here's the thing though, is that, um, it, it, it appears to be impossible. So people ask questions in order to discover why it's not impossible. And the, but the key, the key, and this is why I think Thomas in many ways is a key piece of the, the learning here is, um, first of all, the fact that Jesus is alive isn't the end of the story. There isn't an end to the story because the whole point of Jesus being alive is to let you know that all of that other impossible stuff that I just did is possible. Now you go and do it. Yeah. Right, and it's it's the 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 hinge of this story, if you like, is goes from uh, Jesus is alive in person to Jesus is alive in me, and you, and everybody that I share Jesus with is now alive. It's like going back to your planting the seed thing, right? This literally plants the seed that grows into the plant that 
plants a seed that plants a seed that plants a seed right yeah it's um, and and so so it's it's uh whether you and again whether you believe the stories the gospel stories or not yeah um as as an actual occurrences or whether you think they're actual occurrences, but maybe, you know, they left out some stuff like the questions people asked or the doubts people had in the moment. Um, or whether you think it's all just metaphors, right? Or the miracles are easily explained. Uh, Jesus did this. This is why it happened. Um, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. Um, you can believe believe that however you like. The, the point is that at this juncture in the story, ask questions. <laughs> Yeah. Um, ask questions that that uh, because because you're we've we've learned to be afraid that asking the questions are going to hurt or damage or distract our faith, right? And the whole point of Jesus thinking people should ask questions, the whole point of responding to doubt is that questions nurture your faith, the questions transform your faith, questions uh, cause your faith to grow. Uh, to deepen, to not be just kind of a surface. Well, you told me I should believe that, so I guess I do. They make it stronger. To yes, there's, there's a story of Jesus saying, "Your faith has made you well." I wish that there was yeah. a story somewhere where he said, "Your doubt has made you strong," or has made your faith strong, because it's it's it really seems that it isn't this necessary component to it. Yeah, you hit. Um, you mentioned that all of these people throughout the Easter story, everyone, every character. Um, fell into a a place where they just were not expecting to see Jesus. Uh, And it reminded me, as you were talking about that, of this um, post that we put up on the Six Ways from Sunday Facebook page recently uh, that Jackie um, posted, and it was your words. I think she took them from your blog. Um, And I'm not going to try to quote it because I don't remember the, the phrase exactly, but it was about what imagine how different the world would be if we were expecting to see Jesus in yeah, everyone yeah. that we encountered yeah, and in ourselves. Yeah. So, and I mean, this even comes back to um, t- having the courage to be honest and tell the truth all the time, no matter what it's going to cost you or um, just, you know, having the, the moral fortitude to be, authentic with people and be yourself and be honest and be vulnerable and be direct. If we were expecting to see Jesus in ourselves first and just had confidence that, yeah, he, his, that spirit, that same, um, that same perfect spirit that was Jesus is, is alive in me and is alive in the next person that I'm going to have a conversation with and is alive in the person I'm going to pass on the street or, uh, see at church or, yeah, I, and there's certainly uh, yeah the 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 story is also certainly everything. yeah the story is also certainly affected by um, what's important in the story to you right so for for some people the fact that it's a bodily resurrection is important to them right that Jesus is not just a question of Jesus' spirit is a lot like in Thomas right um, if the story had simply ended there and that Jesus had not appeared in the upper room in person to the disciples um, and Thomas was off doing his thing um, see and and again my interpretation right but I think Thomas is off being what Jesus thought they should all be doing um, Jesusing Jesusing yeah the, the spirit verb. of Jesus is already alive right so the spirit of Jesus is alive so if you're somebody for whom the bodily resurrection part is important, um, okay, um, that's that's great. Except, um, don't just kind of go, yeah, but it's real because Jesus is there in person, and um, that's the important part: is that Jesus was physically there. He wasn't a zombie. Um, he wasn't a ghost. Um, it, it wasn't like Frankenstein, right, where they put him back together you know put a few hundred volts through him and he's alive um it it wasn't any of that so okay but then what does that mean to you (laughs) that jesus is physically there like don't just go but jesus is physically alive what does it mean well don't you think that you still got to ask the damn question you know for sure but my assumption is that the the conservative christian model or view of that is that the bodily resurrection is significant and vital because that implies that Jesus has conquered death 
And now when I die one day, I'm going to be brought back or I'm going to, I'm going to be alive in heaven in this, in a perfect right. physical form. Which well, I, and then actually, and then in Revelation, right? I mean, we're all yeah. we're so all it, going to the, there'll be story. a bodily resurrection in yeah. the end of things. But I could be and, wrong. That's just my assumption is that that's why they need it. Yeah. To, I for me personally, I don't feel like I need that to be. Yeah, uh, that's well, not true for me. Like I okay. don't. Okay, it, it, see, see it that there. Way. That's yeah. So two thousand years ago, they also believe that after Jesus rose from the dead, and then the, we got the ascension, right? Um, Jesus goes to heaven, that they, Jesus said he'd be back, so we'll just sit wait and wait, because he'll be back any day now, right? And then time goes on, and he's not back in person, and time goes on, and he's still not back in person, and so the thinking around that changes from, well, he didn't mean this week, <laughs> some point in the distant future, right, kind of thing, and then we get into that whole thing about... Um, it, you know, do you think, do you think, for instance, what's described in Revelation is actually what's happening in the world right now? So are we, are we already in the end times? And, and people start to get into that hole. Yeah, and, and, and I just kind of think, okay, 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 well, let's all years. just, let's all just calm down here. Um, first <laughs> of all, first of all, the whole point of Revelation isn't that um, the apocalypse is the end of things and that's bad. The point of the book of Revelation is hope. It's that, that the new Jerusalem is coming it's not that we should fear the bad stuff that's going to happen before it does. It's that the bad stuff is a sign that the good stuff is coming, right? It's still, we're still in that kind of, it's, it's all about hope still, but we don't do that. We focus on, it's going to be the end of things, right? Just the way we focus on death is the end of things. So death is obviously the opposite of life. No, <laughs> just the way doubt is the opposite of faith, right? We have to have opposites. We have to have opposites. No, we don't. In fact, Jesus was Jesus was never an either or person. As yeah. as in the stories of Jesus, Jesus was always about and and it's, with. Well, it's kind of like the I think this is part of the Buddhist faith, but the yin and yang, right? Is that is that a, is that part uh, of Buddhism? Or is I'm, that, I'm not sure who that comes from, but but yin and yang being opposites but connected and both right. Part okay, of so it's opposites balance. opposites but connected, um, as opposed to opposite sides of a coin. Yeah, like right? male and female and energy. There's all these examples. You need them of... both to make a whole, mm -hmm. right? Um, and but we don't we don't think that way. We think in terms of opposites, right? Mm -hmm. um, or it's this or it's yeah, that. Or. So yeah, it's that. life or it's death. It's a matter of life or death. No, <laughs> oh, well, death is a part of life. Life comes from death. Death comes from life. It's just the two things work together. Mm -hmm. The same is true of faith. Um, you need doubt to inform faith. There's no opposites. In fact, if there's an opposite to faith, it's probably more likely to be something like hate or fear. Right? Mm -hmm. um, doubt you need in order to reinforce your faith, not, yeah, so dis not hurt it. Disbelief is literally not the antithesis of belief, then. So to be in disbelief or to be to have sure. doubt and wonder is we yeah. think of that as being the opposite of belief, an absence or a, or a, well, or lacking not to mention of the whole, not to mention the okay, and you just put doubt and wonder together, and see, I think I think um, again we tend to think of doubt as being a negative, um, but. Oh well, wonder's okay. You can wonder about stuff like as long it, as it doesn't turn into questions or doubt. Yeah, is it right? going to rain tomorrow? Well, I doubt it. So, so as long we, as you keep wonder as meaning more along the lines of amazement possibility. or possibility or yeah. how cool is that kind of a thing, we're good. It's, it's moment it turns into questions, not mm -hmm. so good, and and again, it becomes an either or thing. Yeah. And and it never is. I I mean I can't say often enough that that uh, Jesus isn't about either or. Jesus is about and and with, right? Jesus isn't about power over people. Jesus is about power with people. Jesus isn't about um, uh, love that has conditions. Jesus is about unconditional love. Why? Because it's all about and and with. Yeah. It's yeah. not about I do this, you do you do this, and then I'll do this. I'll I'll love you if you do this for me. Yeah. Or I'll like you if you do this for me or I'll, you know, I'll, as long as there's a return on my investment. Right? Um it's never about stuff like that. It's all about it's always about um uh love uh loving unconditionally. It's always about power with people. It's always about caring caring for people. It's always about and that's the thing again about the Easter story is the Easter story isn't um Jesus lives. 
period. <laughs> it's about, well, how does Jesus live? Well, love one another as I showed you to love. Yeah. Bye. So the physical Jesus is gone. The spiritual Jesus is always there because Jesus is in us, right? If Jesus is part of, um, is is uh, love incarnate, right? That's part of the incarnation story is that yeah. Jesus is uh, uh, God come to earth in the form of uh, a person, right? Uh, in human form. Um, so Jesus is both divine and human. Um, if the point of that is love incarnate, um, love in human form, um, the divine becoming human, then the human part of that is really important. <laughs> like it's a two-way street, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just that um, we experience love and we experience God in this way. It's that God also experiences us, right? So however you understand God, however you understand God, right? So, um, so for me, again, a key factor of the Easter story is about... Uh, is about what are you going to do with this now? What questions are you going to ask that are going to lead you to be able to engage it and take it into your life and share it with other people? Um, the good news, that's why the tomb's empty, right? We always think of things being empty as that's a bad thing. The tomb is empty because Jesus isn't there. Right. He's here, right? He's in you, he's in me, he's like everywhere. Um, so where do we go from the, here? Where do we go? What, what, what are you going to do with that? See, yeah. even that has a question. Well, um, parallel to that, where do we go from here? I, this is a, maybe a good place to end the conversation, but it leaves me um, wondering, hmm, where should we go from here with the next episode that we do or the next conversation we have? Because we touched on so many things that we've maybe talked about before or you've talked about before in, in different sermons, talking about like um, end times and, and just so many different topics and questions and things that could have their their own 30 40 minute conversation on their own but um yeah you've given me a lot to think about uh just on on this topic and talking about uh, maybe maybe people have questions and they'd like to let us well, know I what think, we should talk about i think that's, that would be a really good thing. idea yeah so if yeah absolutely if anyone has um uh, topic ideas or questions or things that this conversation has brought up for you as you've been listening to it we would really love to hear from you seriously and you can do that really easily by um, uh, finding us on Facebook at Six Ways From Sunday and you can leave a question there uh, message us on the, the page or just put up a post uh, with your question and Robin or I will would be glad to respond to that and uh, dive into the conversation with you and uh, like I mentioned earlier at the beginning, uh, next week I'm going to be talking to Bill Harder, um, who does a lot of work in supporting people through grief. So that's going to be a really interesting conversation coming up for next week. Thank you so much, Robin, for, for this conversation today. Thanks for the coffee, Ben. You're always welcome. And thank you, everyone, for joining us and hope to catch you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.